listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning. Um, who, who is in the market? Who actually has a job? Who's not retired? Great. And then, so who's working for, who's working for a church? And who is sort of at retirement stage of life and you're just doing other things, so your marketplace would be a different place, you know. Um, so I, I work for a church, um, that, that is my sphere of influence, and I also have a personal training business which I've run for 10 years, and I'm in the process of running down. So a lot of my stories today will be based um, from my personal training job, not the church job. And so what we wanted to do... Um, in this moment, really, was to just, each of us is just going to share a story, and then we just, we just wanted to open it up for a... So what we're going to do is we're just going to share one quick story each, and then we just wanted to have uh, sort of... 15 minutes of just open questions because I reckon we've, we've sort of hit a turning point in the prophetic and in the kingdom of bringing it into the marketplace where actually it's not, it's not should we do it, it's how. Yeah. And, and I, I, want, I want to help you this afternoon navigate the how question. So I'm assuming that you know how to hear God's voice and I'm assuming that you you understand how to hear God and that you're asking to hear God and that's where I'm sort of starting from. So I'm not going to cover how do we hear God, what does it look like. I'm just assuming that that's already in play and if it's not, you might not be well fed here in this moment. But we are going to look at the how. How does it look like in the marketplace? So just a really quick story from me um, and I love current stories. So this story is from literally this week. Um, On Wednesday, I went to train a client of mine so I work one-on-one in the health and fitness industry and my client turns up about his gym kit, which means that I can charge him £35 and go home. Brilliant. But something in my spirit said, don't do that. You've, you've blocked out this hour. You're not meant to be at home with your wife and kids. This is where you're at. Um, so I just said to him, look, would you like to go for a beer? Okay, which is obviously completely different from the health and health. <laughs> And my gym that I work from is based in a hotel, so we went to, over to the bar, we had a beer, and all of a sudden, you recognise that God had created an opportune moment for this guy. So in five minutes, he's telling me he's just come back from Israel, I live in North London, filled with people who are Jewish. Um, he's a Jewish guy, um, not Jewish in practising religion, but Jewish by race. He'd been to Bethlehem to a Banksy hotel, which is a political statement against the apartheid which is happening there. And he was just having a massive crisis of identity. So he's kind of talked it through. An hour and 15 minutes later, we talked through the gospel, the covenants, Jesus, wow. the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. <laughs> and this guy, so Yom Kippur is a, a Jewish name for the Day of Atonement in scripture. And this guy, I've trained him for nine years, he is a ardent uh, atheist. By the end of the conversation, he was a convinced theist, as in he believes in a God now. now. Not a personal God, not Jesus, we didn't get that far. But in terms of evangelism, if he was on the Engel scale, he was very much at like a minus nine-ish, eight. And I'd got him all the way down to maybe a minus three 
in an hour and 15 minutes just because I heard the Spirit say, ask him for a beer. And then the conversation just happened naturally. And that's what we want to unpack today. So that's my context. My context is very much one-on-one, um, and that's what I do. So Dave's going to share, and then Juliet, uh, Juliet will share as well. Yeah, cool, thank you. So, um, hi guys, David. Um, my uh, career um, has been based in one organisation, so I started when I was 18. I've been there for 18 years next month. Um, so it's kind of boy to man, they see me there in all of my sin, getting drunk when I was introduced to alcohol, going out on work parties, using bad language, kind of growing up to a man, sort of just being a young Wally in work. And then um, kind of really sort of uh, doing an alpha course five years ago, and my life changed around, uh, made a, a commitment to God, another commitment, because I, I had been baptised when I was eight. Um, but wandered away. Um, you know, my life was changed, as was my wife's. We both really gave our life to um, to Jesus. So we were so blown away, we, we wanted to tell everyone at work. So um, I, I started for father and toddler group in the community. And um, I um, decided to invite everyone from the office that was a dad and people I had a relationship with to the father and toddler group, then a fun day Sunday that we were running at church, and then right at the bottom of the album, of course, because I was a bit scared about that. So I sent this big blind CC email out to everyone to invite them across. Um, and so my story is a victim today in the fact that I felt the need to make a declaration and let everyone know my life's changed, I want to invite you to church. And um, when you do that in an office, in a, in, a, in a culture where a lot of people talk, it's, it's, a, it's a bit like someone's dropped the bomb at work. It's like, oh my goodness, you almost see the heads go, suddenly no one wants to talk to you. Um, and you kind of feel a bit of the persecution in that respect. And then I got a lot of emails saying, wow, that's amazing, well done. Um, I, I plucked up my courage. Um, after doing my second hour, of course, um, and inviting someone to work onto that with his wife, and to invite to do to do another hour, of course. So I decided to send it to the whole of our head office, um, and our company grows about 30% year on year. So at this point, we're about 500 people in our head office. So I sent it to the whole office, and it started out as I remember. As most of you know, I'm a Bible basher. Um, I've decided, blah, blah blah, my life's been changed. I want to invite you guys to an alpha course, blah blah, blah and I just sent it out to everyone. Um, and for me, that the power in that declaration was just like, uh, if I'm going to live by, um, if I'm going to minister, if people are going to see my integrity at work and they're going to see a change in it and they want to know what it's about, if I don't get my declaration out there first, everything I do gives glory to God after that. So when I work and, and treat people with integrity, when I make good decisions, I'm a manager, I manage 30 people, when I honour people in my, in my manager, when I perform, when I excel in everything, I have the ability to automatically give glory to God because my declaration's been done. I don't need to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation in my mind. I'm too impatient. It would have just taken too long. Um, so, <laughs> um, what was great is, is on the last Alpha, um, a young guy uh, who actually works at the time he worked for me uh, became a Christian. Um, so two guys that kind of came along. One really became a Christian and started following Christ, which was amazing. Um, and more recently, you know, God's just given me compassion for people at work. So. You know, I've asked people if I could pray for them. If the church could pray for them, I haven't had the courage to pray out for them. But to give you an idea of what God's asking me to do at work and what I'm resisting, um, we're a sales company. I manage a sales for over 100 people, and every day we shout out the figures on a microphone, and we have things called a power hour where everyone gets up for an hour and does proactive calling. So I get on the microphone to the hall and say, right, guys, it's power hour time. Everyone get up on the phone. There's a guy at work who's going to lose his eye at the end of the year. And God has put overwhelming compassion on me for this guy and he needs healing in his eye, and God said to me, get on the mic, call him over, and tell everyone you're going to pray for him. <laughs> so I'm, like, I'm not sure if 
culturally my work will accept that yet. <laughs> so I'm not doing that. That's, 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 that's kind of where I'm at. I, I, I haven't had the courage to do that. I've asked if we could pray for me on the church list. Um, and, you know, and, and the last thing is, is I've started a, a kind of Christian group where we all meet up. Um, just some of the, the Christians and Pete who became a Christian um, once every Monday. And we, we, just, we, we did it three weeks ago for the first time. We prayed at work in this glass fronted building near our canteen. And um, praying at work is really scary because you do it at church. Okay, that's fine. But to do it at work when people can walk past, you know, like a meeting room. And we decided, you know, we, we actually prayed. We didn't just all sit up and go, oh Lord Jesus, please. And no one couldn't tell we might be having a meeting. We, we made sure we, we prayed as we would pray. And um, I just really felt God's sort of sense. We just sort of. We stamped the mast in the ground, we put our flag in the ground, we yes. took territory yes. in, in that workplace, and that was the feeling. And thank you for And one of the guys afterwards, we prayed, and he stopped and he went, That was cool, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was a real sense of victory and taking, taking ground Amazing. in the world. But um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of some of the stuff that I'm excited about at work. I want to encourage people to, to, to do. I fuck all. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, so I've been in my current company for uh, nine years, and um, I suppose there's like a twofold thing that I would say is going on for me. One is um, the absolute desire, obviously, you want to see your colleagues saved. There's that going on. Um, and then the, honestly the culture of the company completely changed as well um, and I think um, probably about a year into starting at the company I was going on a personal journey of wanting to grow prophetically again specifically with going to the Father and asking for strategy so um, I'll share one current story of what's happened with that. So recently, one of our really big accounts at work, um, I work for an event management company. Um, it was a pharmaceutical company. Um, quite the company, it would be quite a high billing company. Um, and they wanted us to put on uh, an event we've done for them every year. Um, and but this year they came out with a very very different type of brief. And what that looked like was. Um, Things like they wanted mind readers there, they wanted tarot card readers there, all of this type of thing. And so everything on the inside of me went, nowhere are we partnering with that. And um, obviously you're then stuck in the in a place of tension of I don't want to expose anybody to that. So I don't want us as a company to put our name to it and I don't want their them as a company to be exposed to it. But equally my directors are going to be telling me, well, that's a big account. So um, my journey was, um, for these guys, I went back to the father and I just asked him, like, what do we do about this? And he said to me, the solution is, is that actually, for this year, you won't work with them. Um, and um, you need to go to your directors and explain why. And um, you need to tell them that um, if they wait three months, I will give them a bigger account and he told me what it was, he told me it would be with Sony at the OT which at that point we weren't working with Sony, we weren't working at the OT so I meet with my directors and explain that they, they know that I'm a Christian um, explain that actually if we partner with this pharmaceutical company 
Um, and we bring in people like tarot card readers, and we bring in people like mind readers. What can happen is, is that we're exposing people to significant doors of fear, is what I explained. And I said, what they, what they produce, these, the people that we would be bringing in, is not any anything good. And I just explained, I just took them as directors on a journey and explained to them that actually that these people, the information that they would be bringing, their source wasn't good and it wasn't God. Um, and they went, okay, so where are you going to find certified K from? And I went, okay, so the solution is going to be that <laughs> <laughs> um, if you wait three months, I believe that we'll win a Sony account and we're going to work with them at the O2. So I want to be, I want to share that story, but I also want to say to you, um, I've been able to do that because of a track record. So I want to, I, I don't want to yeah, just, yeah. I want to be authentic with you. Yeah. I didn't do that year one. Yeah. You see, I've taken them on a journey. They've seen me pray for them as directors. They've seen me pray for their marriages. They've, they've seen me how I am with my department. They've, they've, they know, they know my heart is for them. Yeah. They know yeah. my heart is to see their company blessed. They know that I'm for their good, and they've seen the evidence of when at other times they have followed what God's saying. But I think there is, I think, I'm, I'm going to start to no, I think that I think that, like Dave said, we're living in a day where where we are the solution on the earth. Yeah, come on. And that whatever environment you're in, including your street that you live on, not just in your work environment, that for every situation that presents itself, whether it's what I've just described or your neighbour opposite you tells you she's about to get a divorce, we're the solution in that situation. So yeah. we get to go to the heaven and get the solution from heaven. And so that's what my heart is in every situation. So then we had a... Can I tell one more story? Go for it. <laughs> Are you being encouraged? Is it helpful to hear stories, yeah. real life stories? Yeah. Carry on. So a current story is um, there was a girl in another department who was um, really underperforming. And so they put her on a performance review and um, they basically were going to be getting rid of her. And I felt like... This doesn't happen every time, but I felt like I could say go in and be her redeemer, and I'd be that to her. And so I went to her manager and I said, can you put her in my team for six months? I believe that, I believe that we can see a turnaround. So she um, was on a six month transfer to my team. Um, she turns up and it's like Ice Maiden is the only language I've seen. It's really intense. She brings out from her bag all these crystals and starts putting them around the room. And I'm like, starts putting them around the desk and then decides that she's going to put them on my desk. And I'm thinking, they will weigh them. So I go up to her and I'm like, tell me about these crystals. You know, what do they mean to you? What do they signify? And I've noticed there's different colours of them. Well, she's like, obviously, like, done a PhD in the crystal thing. <laughs> <laughs> so she shared about her journey and that, you know, she's really quite, has been around house. And I said, okay. I said, that's really interesting. You seem to have quite a um, strong um, trust in these things. Traditionally, yeah, they really work. 
I said, okay. I said, oh, I wonder whether um, you want to try something out with me. I, I didn't tell her I was Christian at this point. And um, I just said, why don't you try something out with me? I think that you've got a lot of fear in your life, and I think you're having quite a lot of nightmares. And I just wonder whether you want to not do the crystal things, put them all away, and just see in the next week what happens, because I believe that actually there's the peace that's going to happen by you just being in this department, because we carry the presence of God. Anyway, we place her, go and check in with her. She's not had a single nightmare. She hasn't got the crystals out. Now, she's on a journey. No, she hasn't given her life to Jesus this week. She hasn't. But we're going on a journey, and she's... So good. We're going to see what... We're going to see how and get to know Jesus. Amen. Great, isn't it? So, it's 12 minutes to 2. At 2 o'clock, I want to get into the Bible and stuff. But for the next 12 minutes, first come, first serve basis, any question, we'll answer it as best we can. Obviously, the context of your question is, how do I do this stuff in whatever my sphere of influence is? You know, and obviously, we're not going to be able to answer your direct question, but it's about principles, things that we have learned in our journeys, in the workplace over however long it is, 10, 15, 20 years. Is that good?
and um, he takes it to hospital every week, and he talks openly about it to some people, but I can say to him, look, you know, I'm a Christian, come up, do you mind my church pray for you about this? And then I can ask how he's going and have a different level of conversation, mm. which actually, because I'm a Christian, for him, isn't awkward. That's the most important thing for me, is for them it's not awkward. Because yeah. for me it's awkward all the time. I'm scared of doing anything. Literally, I'm bricking any of this stuff, <laughs> trusting in God, to, even to do the smallest thing. But it's really about honouring that person and making sure for them that it's within their comfort uh, place. So my, my advice to you would be, as long as they're being honoured, and um, they, um, you can approach it within the boundary of your relationship with them, and their knowledge of who you are, then you're coming at it from a safe place. Um, and so you kind of need to tackle all of those areas. But for me, the most important one is probably honouring that person. Is it honouring them? Um, because sometimes we can seek to do this stuff because we're excited and we want to do it, and we can actually <laughs> dishonour that person through our yeah. zeal. Very God, okay. I've done that in alpha by, by trying to push it too fast. So at work, specifically, try to hold back a bit more. Right. Next question. Yeah. Can you give it some examples of when it goes wrong? Uh, it's good to have good uh, examples, yeah, yeah. but actually. I think for a lot of us it's probably courage, how far do you push there, when do you lose your job, so I'm a GP, so what I can share in the workplace is all a little bit up and down, and I can't easily invite patients to alphas, that wouldn't go down well, so just, have you got any examples of when it's just gone wrong? I guess we're all in different scenarios, so you know, these guys would be facing losing employment. Yeah. Um, I would, as a self-employed person, anyone that I get it wrong with is going to cost me a client, which is going to cost mm. food on my table. So the cost is, yeah. you know, the cost is different. I'm not saying which one's higher. Yeah. I, don't, I wouldn't want to go in there. And I think sometimes people say, well, it's easier for you because you're a hairdresser, but I'm this. As soon as you've done that, you've, step, you've given yourself permission to not do it. Mm. Okay, so that's the first mm. thing I would say about that. No job is easier or harder. There's going to be a cost to it and we have to accept and embrace the cross you know the cross literally are you prepared to lose your job for Jesus so that's the first thing you have to work through uh, we have a, an elderly lunch club that I part of and a lady was just irate about God not answering prayer and I could just tell there was a family disconnect and I just said to her okay so what's going on in your family that's causing this much pain so that's a word of knowledge not explained as a word of knowledge and she said oh my, my daughter doesn't call me she says that I just moan all the time and then, I, and then I just said, oh, well, I'm going to pray that your daughter calls you for the next seven days, and by the next time when I see you next week, I'm going to ask you. So I prayed every single day, 15 minutes a day. Did this daughter call? No. Her first thing she saw me was, your God's not real. <laughs> and that, so I've now got to recover. She was probably at a bit more of a place of faith before that conversation than she was after. <laughs> so we've gone backwards. You know, but actually... In the kingdom, that's okay because yeah. God's in control, and you know. So that's that's one story of just like paying the cost, and another story. Of, can you say one thing? That's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, so we talked about this bit on the car on the way up here about carrying your cross in work and what sacrifices there. And God spoke to me last week about this and actually said, "Are you willing to sacrifice progression and salary to see my kingdom come at work?" And that's, I think, a really healthy question to ask because yeah. we're praying and asking for this stuff you've got to hear. Yeah. So, at what cost? And obviously, you know, that, that's yeah. a bit about what you're asking. Yeah. And um, I, there was a, a self-management position that came up. It's kind of like the big brother role of what I'm doing now. I, I, there's, there's two sales managers in our office, and I manage four teams. There was another role that manages ten teams, and, and I went for that role. And this was quite shortly after my company-wide email separation. <laughs> um, so there was a bit of taboo about it. And um, 
you know, people in our companies, it's a very dynamic, young, cultured company, people vote in their manager, and it, sometimes it's really about popularity versus capability. Mm. And um, I felt I was the most uh, capable person for that job, obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I, um, I didn't get that job because I wasn't voted in. Now, there's probably a lot of actual practical reasons why I didn't get that job. And people have come up and said to me, do you know what, I think because you're a Christian you didn't get that job. Actually, it's probably a mix of the two. And actually, there was probably lessons for me in terms of how to improve myself. But I still got to honour God in that meeting afterwards by saying, you know, I phoned the guy up, I, I let him know that I'm really behind. We now work really closely together. I actually got promoted soon, soon after that. Um, and I got to honour God in blessing him by getting that role. But I probably didn't get that role partly because I was a Christian. But actually, maybe God didn't want me to have that role because he thinks there's a better role for me and I trust in God in that. So actually, I do think there's a chance that you might be held back professionally. But how much are you willing to take that? And, you know, is, is what's more important? God's kingdom is, being, is coming in the workplace, surely that's a battle to have, like how much can we give, how much of our cross, how much can we die to work and live for Christ and work in, in what we do. I'm just going to do two more questions. Right, so you two at the back, and then maybe we'll get some time at the end. So Paul's just going to come with the mic. How would you deal in your work situation when they've approached you and told you, you can no longer talk to the people at work about your Christianity and what's happened in your life, your healings and such like. And they said I had to wait for them to approach me. So they do. So I now know there's four Christians in there. So the guy that approaches me, I tell him about things and hope he gets around. So the other niece sits right next door, next beside a Christian at work. So I'm hoping it gets about that way. Mm. And because I couldn't verbally, I've been putting suggestions in the suggestion box to open up a prayer room. And um, the, 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 I've just heard that they're currently thinking about creating a prayer room. But for now, they've allocated a room that can use when it's free to use as a prayer room. Sounds but like other than that, that <laughs> 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 sounds like you do. I think in the, in the marketplace, uh, we'll talk about this in the sermon, but there are characteristics as Christians that as we live out, they shine like light before an unbelieving generation. And, and sometimes that can be the cop-out, but I think if you've been specifically asked by your company to not do it, you have to honour your company because you are working for your company. And we will look at some biblical examples of men and women who honoured their law while not compromising their integrity. Mm. So we'll come on to that biblically later. Mm. And there's another question at the back and then we'll get into the scripture. <coughs> Sorry, what was that me? Or was someone oh, else? There's a person behind you. Oh, right, okay. Um, just a quick question really. Um, obviously taking a lot of risks in all that and you're operating in faith. How do you work that through with your church leaders? What sort of conversations do you have? to kind of work that through. What do you mean? Sorry? Well, if somebody came to me and said, um, I'm thinking about saying this at work, what do you feel? As a church leader, it's like, oh my word. How do you handle that? How do you, are your leaders pushing you? Are they helping you? Are they encouraging you? Are they praying with you? Are they, what, what do they do to encourage you in what you're doing? Just, there are some big decisions that you're making there. Yeah, okay. So, do you guys want to answer that as people that are not church leaders and not answer it as a church leader? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just very, for me, um, prayer is the biggest one. So, when I wanted to set up the Christian group, um, 
I, um, I I had people praying about it. I actually stood up in church and declared I was going to do it because I felt like God was saying, and I thought I'm going to make a declaration of church that I'm going to do it. So it was still like six months later before I had the courage to do it, but I just needed that support. So I let the church know in terms of actual leadership. I sat down with the, the elder that's been discipling me, and I've explained what's on my heart. And we've talked about getting him into church to do alphas, and, and um, he just encouraged me to, to operate in faith. And um, yeah, I, I just I, I would say prayer and a discussion. Um, the reality is I know the appropriate boundaries in my work more mm. than my elders do. Yeah. So the reality is that I can only work that through with God um, because we're equipped and skilled actually more than our, our leaders are yeah. how to offer, operate in the marketplace. Yeah. Um, they can encourage us and they can join us in prayer. But in terms of being equipped, it's just you and the Holy Spirit at work. Um, and sometimes it is just you and the Holy Spirit at work because <laughs> yeah. there's no other Christians there. Yeah. Um, so my, my, yeah, I would encourage you to seek prayer and ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. If that's not a cop-out answer, I hope mm-hmm. it helps. Do you want to try and answer a bit more specifically about what your leaders are saying to you? Um, I think that, um, I'll just be very honest, I'm very fortunate in the church that I'm in. Um, we, we definitely um, have a culture where from the platform every Sunday um, and in the culture of how the church is working, um, they they teach and they outwork the principle that your my sphere of influence is my workplace. Mm-hmm. And so actually, as we all know, our leaders are called to equip us mm-hmm. so we can go and do the work. Yeah. And so actually, as leaders, that's what they're there to do, to encourage me, to empower me, to stand with me, to join faith together, to pray together. So for us as a church, um, my leaders are regularly checking in with me, how I'm doing at work, what's happening in my workplace. Um, we have, like, I'm sure most churches do, we have like a Facebook page where you can put in prayer requests. So, for example, I put in there about Mandy. I shared with her the, on there about what was going on. Can everyone stand with me and pray? I've had some situations going on with one of the directors of the company. Again, I'm asking you to stand with me in prayer. But I would massively agree with what David's saying with regards to it's you and the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm just checking in with Holy Spirit every day. Okay, Holy Spirit, do I need to speak to that person? And if I, I think. I think also it's a learning thing. I think you know you're you're we're always learning with Holy Spirit and we're we're growing relationally with Him. So um, I think that's important as well. Um, yeah, and you do you, uh, in Alpha we talk about the five CSs and one of them is common sense. And with Kevin's point about you know you've got certain limitations within your work. You know by increasing our faith and courage we don't lose our common sense. Yeah. So actually if something is perceived to be too risky or outside of the cultural mm-hmm. kind of comfort of your company, then I would just say actually sometimes you can just use common sense mm-hmm. and say, and, and a bit like the lady's point of, it, sometimes just approaching people proactively, in my experience, it, it, it's, the, it's sometimes better to be reactive and let someone approach you. Um, and, and so it's, it's kind of, it's just sometimes you just have to apply common sense mm-hmm. to it and there's no shame in that, that's just you can use your human ability, it doesn't have to be completely spiritual. So as a church leader, um, I would answer the question completely differently um, because, as Juliet said, our job as leaders of communities is to equip the saints for works of service. Yeah. Okay, that's, that is my primary job. Now, if I stand up and say, go risk your job for the kingdom, but I don't do that myself, 
are you going to follow? <laughs> Unlikely. So I think as a church leader, there is a responsibility on me to get myself into situations where I'm living out what I'm preaching off the platform, otherwise I have no authority to preach what I'm saying. So I would almost kick it back in the church leader and say, okay, you're asking me to risk my job, show me where you're risking your job. Where are you putting your faith on the line? Where are you preaching to the point where if God doesn't turn up, it's not going to happen? You know, so very much for me, I've, I've developed a culture at Trinity, which is the church I used to be in, where we've really gone after like this stuff in the marketplace. And we've got people working in government all over the place. Many of you might know uh, a guy, Boca Catalyst, he's a head teacher who's shaping hundreds and thousands of head teachers across our nation. Um, so we've gone after this massively, but we've gone after it because a few of us who are in church leadership said, we're going to be the pioneers, we're going to take the risks. I've taken a huge pay cut. Um, I've gone consistently, you know, going for miracles in the workplace, and it has not worked out well many times. But God is faithful. So I have an authority that when I speak, I've got story after story, year after year, and my church know that I'm doing what I'm saying, and they will they will come up to the level that I'm at and then what tends to happen is after a while they just go right past you. So you're still doing the same stuff. They think you're amazing, but they've gone way beyond you and they're doing things you never dreamed of. So that's, that is where the church in North London that I come from is really at and it, that journey started about five years ago to the point where we've now got people that are literally influencing our nation. Um, you know, so God can move quickly if you think that's yeah. happened in five years. That's where we're at. So as a leader, leaders of churches have to be the first to set mm -hmm. the risk markers yeah. down. But it's going to look different. And as workplace people, you're going to have to expect their story to be different. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to just open up the Bible, if that's okay with you. Um, you guys want to sit here? I don't know, we might just take some medium questions. I don't know. Mm -hmm. yeah. Might as well. So why don't you go into uh, the book of Jeremiah. And, and as I said, I'm, I'm just taking some assumptions. I assume that you know what the prophetic gifts are. I assume you've had some experience in operating the, in them, probably in a church context, maybe in a workplace context. And I'm not really going to look at that as a, as a topic. But what I do want to say is, what do we actually mean when we talk about being prophetic in the marketplace? And I would just simply say, my framework for that is hearing the Father's voice and, and hearing his heart for my sphere of influence. So the question is, are you hearing God for wherever he's placed you? Yeah. Now, whether that's a church or the marketplace is an irrelevance. It's a street, it's wherever. So my simple definition, my framework for what do we mean by being prophetic in the marketplace is hear God's voice, hear his heart for wherever you are. That's it. Really simple. And so in Jeremiah, uh, chapter 29, verse 4, we have what I think is a really beautiful passage about what the prophetic gift looks like outside of, in his context, the temple, or in our context, the church. And so verse 4, we're going to pick it up. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I have carried uh, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat whatever they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase there, do not decrease. 
also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will also prosper. Verse 8. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams that you are encouraging them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promises to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not for your harm, plans to give you a hope and a future. And you think, okay, what has that got to do with prophetic in the marketplace? Well, let's unpack it a bit. So this is a moment in time. So, so often we want to take the Bible and we want to take a passage, like I know the plans that God has for us, and we want to apply it right now to our life. And that's legal. Go do that. But let's also look at the context. The context is a moment in time with specific instruction to a specific people at a specific time. There's a lot of specifics in there. And so what we see is the Father's heart. So Jeremiah has heard the Father's heart through the prophetic, and it's saying, be a blessing to the city, be a blessing to the people. Now the city is the city that they've gone into exile, the people are the people who have oppressed them. Mm. That's an interesting context, isn't it? So go be a blessing to your oppressors in their city, go make their city, those who have stolen you out of your land, make them prosper. I have sent you there. Mm. Like, just getting your head around that, God has sent you somewhere. Mm -hmm. Where's he sent you? Go be a blessing to it. The father's heart for the exiles is they'd have shelter, they'd settle down, they'd enjoy food and provisions, they'd increase in number, they'd live peacefully with their oppressors and ultimately be a blessing to their oppressors. Jesus says, bless your enemies. And right here, Jeremiah is... It's giving us a forerunner of something that Jesus is going to be saying in the New Testament. So Jeremiah hears the Father's heart for his sphere of influence. And Jeremiah was a prophet to the nation of Israel that most of them got carried into exile and some of them remained in Jerusalem. And he's speaking into that context. That is his marketplace. His sphere of influence is the people of Israel. So what do we mean by be, being prophetic in the marketplace? We mean exactly what we mean in the church. Hear God for the people in front of you. Mm -hmm. That's what we mean. Or hear God for the business in front of you. Or hear God for the church. There is no difference. Mm -hmm. The only difference is the location and the people. So once we've got that in our thinking, it instantly just takes out some of the challenges. Because you just think, no, it's the same gift. It's the same gift. There should be no disparity between secular and sacred. There should be no secular and sacred. So what does the prophetic do? So if this is what we mean by it, what does it actually do? Because you think, okay, okay, I get that, Dave, but what does it do? What does being prophetic do? Well, Alan Scott from the Vineyard Church up in Coleraine says this, we are to work with our city for change, not on it for change. So Jeremiah hears the father's voice prophetically for his sphere of influence and he encourages the people with God's instruction. So verse 5 and 7, they give clear instruction in this passage and they demonstrate a working with. 
The scripture doesn't say, go into the land, kill all the people, and change the city. It doesn't say, wreck their businesses, and it doesn't say, raise up a political party to work against them. It says, let your sons and daughters marry, build crops. That's, that's much more working with something than on it or against it. Now we have to understand that at a different time, God said something very different to Joshua. So what is God saying for us? There's a specific nature to it. What is God saying for you in your workplace, your sphere of influence? And then in contrast, we have the false prophets in verse 8 and 9. And it talks about them, and they are clearly giving a different instruction. It doesn't say what their instruction is, but I would imagine it would be very much, don't settle, don't marry, God hasn't sent you into exile, don't plant crops, God is going to bring you back. And so then Jeremiah says, that is wrong, you're staying there for 70 years, therefore increase. So I'm, I'm reading that into the text, I hope you can see that, but I think it's obvious probably what the false prophets were saying. Yeah? So the Father wants to talk to us about our marketplaces, our spheres of influence. He wants to share revelation. So we've shared some stories. So Juliet shared a story about revelation and insight into a situation or picking up, discerning. I was discerning that I needed to have a beer with this guy, you know. And we sat down and we had a conversation that went somewhere it wouldn't have done had I just gone home. What is the Father saying? Where has he placed you? What is his desires? How are we bringing life to those that we are doing life with? So what does the prophetic do in the marketplace? It reveals the will of God. And it instructs others in the Father's heart, which is ultimately displayed in kingdom values. So as Jesus followers, which I imagine we all are here, we're all people that are following Jesus, we're disciples of Jesus, right? You're following him. The question becomes... What is the kingdom? And how is that coming in my marketplace? Because Jeremiah 29.7 says, Seek peace and prosperity of the city. Peace and prosperity. I'm not talking about everyone being a millionaire when I say prosperity. I mean having more than enough so you can give away to serve others. They are kingdom values. God is not in lack. Ever. God is a God of abundance. That's what prosperity is. And peace. God is a God of peace. Peace and prosperity are kingdom values. And Jeremiah is saying, hear the instruction that you would release kingdom in this place. Release the kingdom of God. So our, what does the prophetic do in the marketplace? It reveals and instructs others in line with the Father's heart. Now we don't have to use the language of this is the kingdom of God and this is the Father's will. You can completely circumnavigate that and bring about blessing. Yeah. You don't have to bring your Christianese to the marketplace. <laughs> you don't. Just be you. Yeah. You'll be received far better and it'll be far more successful if you're just real in your language. Leave your church language at the church door. When you step into the world, talk like the world. It's just really helpful. Yeah. You know, if you start saying, oh, I've got this prophetic word, people don't know what prophetic <laughs> word is. But if you say, look, I'm trying to learn how to hear God's voice, people can engage with that. They understand God, they understand hearing, they can connect that a little bit. It's much easier than, thus said if the Lord, you know, it just freaks people out. 
<laughs> that opened up a bugbear of mine, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> and I work for a church. Imagine if I didn't. <laughs> so I think what I'd like to do is just really share from, let's turn to Isaiah 61, um, nine principles of the kingdom of God. Because if you don't know what the kingdom of God is, you have got no idea how to manifest it or bring it in your workplace. Now, the kingdom of God is massive, all right? So I'm not going to try and unpack everything in the kingdom of God. But because Jesus uses Isaiah 61 in Luke 4 to announce his messiahship, his kingdom, I want to use that same passage and chuck in one from Romans 14 at the end. So which one is in Isaiah? Isaiah 61. Sorry. So Isaiah 61, you'll know that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, blah, 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 blah. We all know that passage, yeah? So, verse 1 clearly talks about the presence of God. So when you rock up at work, people should experience the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord upon you. And if they're not, you probably need to have a bit of a longer quiet time. Just saying. Okay. Verses 1, 3, 10 and 11 all talk about salvation and righteousness, the forgiveness of sin, restoration of relationship with God, adoption into his family, becoming a child of God. Verse 1 talks about healing and deliverance, physical, emotional, spiritual healing, either through supernatural means or natural means. I, I don't care if my prayer or the aspirin gets at a headache first. I want health. Yeah. Okay? And if we don't give doctors permission to advance medically and bring healing medically, if we devalue that, we are actually working against God's kingdom. Because health can be bought both naturally and supernaturally. Okay? And it's not either or, it's a both and. If someone's got mental health problems, I would not encourage you to say, don't take your antidepressants. I would encourage you, take your antidepressants and pray. So, to be authentic, someone who's very, very dear to my heart, um, went through this journey and I was praying like crazy for them and they decided they were going to stop their tablets. They decided. No one said it to them. They decided. And they cut it down a quarter, a quarter, a quarter, a quarter and within a month they were off and they've never been back on. Now there have been some hairy moments since but they went through a process of natural and supernatural healing. My dad had prostate cancer and there was no doubt that there was a sense of supernatural healing but he still had radiotherapy. You know, his cancer had pretty much gone before he started his radiotherapy. He still did eight weeks of radiotherapy. Okay, so I'm not, don't hear what I'm not saying. Natural and supernatural. You know, you're a doctor. We love it. You know, we want to celebrate doctors, nurses, midwives. Thank God. Can you imagine if you had to pray every baby out? <laughs> My goodness. You know, let the trained people do the job they're trained for. You know? My okay. phrase is, Jesus walked on the water once, but he also got the boat lots of times. <laughs> <laughs> but that is just good wisdom, isn't it? Come on. Verse 2 talks about comfort. Comfort is part of the kingdom of God. How are we going to comfort people's emotional, spiritual and physical need? You know, that could be for a whole variety of things. Gifts, time, compassion, provision, whatever. Verses 3 and 7 talk about joy. As Christians, if we are not joy-filled, we are not representing God well. Yeah. Okay, and if you are not filled with joy, I would struggle to say, have you really understood what you've been saved from? You know, Romans spends a lot of time telling you what a sinner you are, and then says, by faith, 
you are this and that. And you think, okay, so if you understand the wrath of God against sin, the fact that you deserve death, then you're going to be really happy that you're not going to die, right? And I think there's a sense of Christians have lost something of the joy of God. And joy is infectious. And people want joy. Now, if you walk into the workplace smiling, people love you because they're walking in there on Monday going, you know, so get yourself into a happy place, whatever it takes. Uh, You can't make yourself be happy. But you can look at Jesus, know what he's done for you, and deep joy will come. Now, I know you don't have to be happy 24-7, but joy is a, is a state of mind. Be thankful, be joyful. And, I, you know, we're all working it out. I don't want to bang on that one. But I just think, you know, I've been in a church that was super happy, and I tell you what, it was amazing. It just, I loved going to church. Even if the sermon was bad, because the people were happy. And I walked out happy because they were happy. Be that happy person, that and if you're not, work out why not. You probably need to deal with some fear, pain, disappointment. You know, If you're not happy, you, you've got some unresolved stuff. Oh, my soul, why so downcast? Go process that with Father. Right, off that chair as well. Um, <laughs> restoration. We have to raise up, bring about, establish something that's in line with the Father's heart. Okay, we're called to restore cities and businesses and buildings and arts, and many things. You know, we are in the job of restoration and redeeming. That's kingdom. Justice, to correct abuses and injustice, to learn to discern correctly and judge appropriately. Verse 8. Blessings and inheritance, 6, 7, and 9. To receive benefit or reward. Most often, natural things. Don't over-spiritualize all of the gospel. Okay? Again, I'm I'm not saying let's be super rich. But there is material blessing that God gives to us that we would release it to others for their benefit. You know, so God multiplied food to feed the hungry. What natural resource is God multiplying in your life to go meet someone's need? It's a question. And finally, Romans 14, uh, verse 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating, drinking and so on and so forth, but a matter of peace. Be a person of peace. And also look for peacemakers. That you'll have a peacemaker in your workplace. A lady or man of peace. Go find them. Go hang out with them. The gospel will go through them. Okay? So that's just some... The prophetic does the kingdom, right? Yeah. So this is some stuff on the kingdom. And if you just work out how to bring those nine in your workplace, oh my goodness, this world would be flipped. You know? Just nine. Just Even just one would be amazing. Okay, so what aspects of the kingdom of God do we find in biblical examples? Okay, so we need to get it back into scripture, don't we? We need a a rooted biblical framework for this. So I'm not going to go through every story, but I'm assuming that you know your Bibles well enough. So Joseph, through prophetic gifting, brought about deliverance from famine and comfort and effectively... The salvation of two nations, both Egypt and Canaan. That's amazing, right? You know, through his prophetic understanding, he did that. Daniel, through his prophetic grace, through his service, enabled Nebuchadnezzar to be saved. He enabled uh, 
for the gods of Babylon to be sort of dethroned and the god of Daniel to be raised up. That's amazing. And we want to celebrate that. And he served several kings and he brought peace often in his prime ministership, which he had. Esther, what an amazing example of justice. Can you imagine that you are responsible for a whole community not experiencing genocide? (laughs) Wow! Wow! Imagine if there was no genocide because a man or woman of God was in the mix. There's been some horrific things that have happened. Armenia, Congo, you just name the places and it's horrific. But God wants to raise up Esther's and men versions of Esther. (laughs) And then finally, Nehemiah. He restores a ruined city. And he brings physical blessing and an inheritance to a people who have suffered greatly. These are our biblical examples. Biblical examples of prophetically hearing God's heart and bringing about the kingdom of God. It's in the Bible, therefore it's legal for us to go do that stuff and go have an adventure with God. Fantastic examples of just men and women who brought kingdom values into cities, nations, marketplaces all over. So how, so it comes down to this question, wow that's amazing Dave, but how? What, how do I do that? How do I operate prophetically in the marketplace? Well, I, I want to take all four of these stories and I want to just highlight some, if you look into it, some similar characteristics that they all have, which I think are sort of the keys of how. So, all of these men and women that I've referenced, these four, they all submitted to the higher authority of God over the higher authority of man, whatever that was. So, uh, Joseph served God and Pharaoh, right? God always first, Pharaoh second, okay? But they were submitted to an earthly authority that was quite often, in their case, highly demonic. You know, we think we've got bad bosses. Could you imagine your boss being Nebuchadnezzar? (laughs) I'm just going to raise up a fire pit for anyone that doesn't want to agree with me. You know, could you imagine having that as your boss? Like, let's be real. You know, our bosses are not like their bosses. Okay? So they submitted to some pretty evil people. Okay? So they all served God and man, and the man they served was quite often not pleasant. Okay? They served with excellence and diligence. Excellence is what you're called to. Okay? Your work should be of a higher standard, of a better quality. We are called to excellence. Okay? Uh, My work as a preacher is to serve you well, and to know my Bible well, and to work on my communication well. Whether it's five people or five hundred, I must do my time, okay, to serve you well, so you can take my hidden journey in a potent deposit and run with. Now how does that work out for you? You know, if you're a doctor, when did you stop learning? You know, your continued professional development. Where's the excellence at? We are required to be excellent. We are required to keep learning, to be the best all we can be. Not in a striving, like, oh my goodness, this is such a weight to carry. Okay? Because the weight that you carry is often not the actual amount, but how you're carrying it. Right? If you've got 
one big boulder on your back, that's really hard to carry. If you've got one big boulder and you've got a horse and cart, easy. It's about how you're carrying it, not what you're carrying. Do you understand? How you carry it. Carry it lightly. Carry it in Christ. Don't carry it in striving. Okay, so they submitted to a higher authority, both God and man. They served with excellence and diligence, and clearly not for their own benefit. Very clearly. Um, they were brave. You know, we, we had the question, what do I do in this scenario? Well, these guys risked their life. Okay? So if we want to step up to a biblical example, you've got to be prepared to put your life on the line. So I'm going to give you a real example. I went to India a couple of years ago, and we went into a leprosy colony. Now... Leprosy is contagious through touch. What do we do when we pray for the sick? We touch them. I had a choice. Do I lay hands and pray for the leper and touch them or do I not? I hugged the pants out of them. I <laughs> loved on them like nothing else. Because these people have not been touched. And Jesus touched the lepers to both heal their body and heal their heart. So me and my, my Indian brother who led me in this crazy adventure, we hugged on lepers like no tomorrow. Now two of our group didn't. And to be honest, we had a choice to make in that. So they could have taken offence at us, we could have taken offence at them. The reality is, is move to the level of faith that you had. So I had faith that if I hugged them, I would not walk out of that scenario with leprosy. While one of my brothers who was with me had done this and got tuberculosis. And he was not prepared to have tuberculosis again. Okay? So, I don't hear again what I'm not saying, but put it on the line. <laughs> but proportionate to your faith. Yeah. So some of you are prepared to lose a finger, some of you are prepared to lose a leg. Yeah. Work it out. Yeah. But whatever you do, be brave. Mm -hmm. Go for broke sometimes. And these guys certainly did. And if they're our example, they are a high watermark that I am not achieving. Okay? Just to be authentic. Um, verse, uh, not <laughs> verse four. Point four. Recognise circumstantial moments of breakthrough. So I think we have this concept in the West that success is sort of time versus effort. So if I put enough effort in there's enough time, the diagram would look something like this. So time, effort, success, perfect. That's what we all want in the West, isn't it? More time, more effort equals consistent success. That is not how the kingdom works. John 15 talks about fruitfulness and being pruned. So growth in the kingdom looks like this. Okay? So what happens if you, are, you have been here and you've now been pruned, so you're less fruitful as a believer in God, and you're looking and you're saying, six months ago, I was up here. You're going to be depressed. But if you look at the 20 years, you go, wow, God is amazing. God has increased my fruitfulness. So be mindful where you've adopted a Western world system and you've dropped out the kingdom. Kingdom is growth and pruning. West, the West is time and effort equals constant success. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Okay, we're almost done. Okay, so the four qualities that I would consider us to work out are submission to God and man, whatever that man or woman is, excellence in service, bravery, making the most of opportunities. That's why I shared the story about my client, because there was an opportunity. And had I not taken it, that conversation would have never happened. There are what we call kairos moments, opportune moments. 
And in the life of these guys, there was an opportune moment for Esther when Haman was trying to kill the Jews. And so far we have the scripture, for such a time as this. But we just apply it in completely the wrong context. For such a time as this, I'm going to put my neck on the line. That's what it really means. I'm going to go before the king even though I might die. Scary stuff, isn't it? Woof! <laughs> Let me be good at doing this. Let me do it tomorrow. Amen. Um, another aspect is understand the relational dynamics. So these four biblical stories that we're looking at, they have three relational dynamics. The person of power. Okay, there's the king. It's always, it's always a king in this narrative. There's always the person of power. Now, in our context, we don't necessarily have a king, but in your workplace, you have a boss. And the boss is able to decree change that you cannot. Yeah. So who is your person of power? Who is your Nebuchadnezzar? Who is your Pharaoh? Okay, work it out. You can even write their name down right now. Write their name down. The person of power. The person with the authority to decree change. <coughs> then, who is the person of influence? That tends to be the one who's got the... They are strategically placed by God to influence the direction of what's happening. They tend to serve the person of power. So in none of these stories is Joseph or Daniel, or none of them are the top dog. They're always in service to someone else. And I think as Christians, sometimes when we say, let's take the kingdom out, what we tend to mean is let's take over our business, which is working on our business, not with our businesses, right? And finally, there is a benefactor, and it's not us. So... The benefactors are often other people, other employees, communities, cities, nations. They are not you. You might get a benefit, but your prophetic strategy, if you're going off that kind of thing, is not for you. The gospel is not about you. It's good news for all of mankind. Yes, we're sons. Yes, we're daughters. Yes, we're adopted. We love that, but the kingdom is not about individualism. And again, in the West, we love ourselves. And in our worship songs, we sing about ourselves. Oh, God, it's about me. You know, particularly some of the songs that are coming out now. No, no, it's about God. It's about his kingdom. But we understand that God loves us individually, but there is a corporate thing. And in our culture, we are far too individualistic. And if you go to other cultures, they are far too communal. So you've got to speak into your culture. So for the challenge for us in the West is how are you serving your community, not how is the community serving you. Okay? Um, so these prophetically, prophetically minded men and women, they are held in high regard. Are you held in high regard? That's a tough question to walk out the door and ask yourself and to be real. And if you're not, what are you going to do about it? Because you can grow in competence, you can grow in godliness, you can grow in character. Their character and giftings gave them favour. Follow the favour train. Once you recognise that there's a favour on you, work with your favour. And I think quite often we like to shortcut favour. So, how does this work in a picture? You might have something like... Uh, us... Miracles, favour, trial. Okay? So we're here, and if we want to get on the 
I've spoke failing terribly badly there. Um, <laughs> if we want to get to the favour, we have to go through a trial, okay? To get to the miracle at the other side. Now, what we want to do is we want to avoid suffering at any cost. And so this is... So in the workplace, the trial comes. And when we press through the trial in a godly way, we attract the favour of heaven. And as we press out the other side, we release the blessing of God. So how can we release the prophetic in the marketplace? Uh, Four points. Pray, like Jeremiah, to the Lord for insight. Point one. How can we do it? Start with God. God, I need you. My favourite prayer is help. That would be a really good one. Help! I don't know what I'm doing. I am not able to do it on my own. Help! What are you saying? Two. Understand what the kingdom is. Read Isaiah 61, read the Gospels, what is the kingdom? How does it grow? Don't expect fireworks tomorrow. The kingdom is a seed. It grows like a seed. If you want that oak tree, you need to plant a seed. You need to water that. You know, don't expect fireworks tomorrow. I'm not trying to cut back on your faith, but I just want you to understand what does Jesus say about the kingdom so we don't put false expectations in the mix and then just withdraw. Understand what the kingdom is and how it works. There's so much in the Gospels and in in Isaiah about that. Be submitted, serve with excellence, be brave, make the most of every opportunity. I think I've covered that point many times. Remember to work with your workplace, with your sphere of influence. Not on it and certainly not against it. So Juliet's story is amazing. She wanted her workplace to be financially more prosperous. Okay? That's the context. I want you to succeed, but this account is not going to help that. But God has told me, if you don't have that, you can have this. Okay? See, that's the beauty of the prophetic. Okay? Work with it. Juliet was working with her workplace for its benefit. There's nothing about Juliet getting a pay rise in that story. Did you notice? (laughs) So what I'd like you to do now, before we wrap this up, and we've only got five minutes left, um, write down who is your person of power, who is your person of authority, who is the person that has the ability in your marketplace, in your world, to decree a change. Okay. Well, it might be you. <laughs> it might be. Okay, next person. Uh, so the next point. Just think about how you've been strategically placed to influence them. Now, don't think Joseph considered being in a prison a very strategic place, okay? He, he probably didn't do that. And we probably haven't seen that. God's strategic plan is not how we want it to always be, okay? And we need to be mindful of that. You know, the, the most influential Christian in my life happens to be a person I have no idea who they are and they used to clean the toilets at Hillsong Church. I don't know who they are. I just know they clean those toilets so good it had an impact on me and that was the day I recommitted my life to Jesus. They were a toilet cleaner at Hillsong Church. That's all I can tell you about them. 
but because of what they did, I'm now sat here teaching you this. Okay, that is a pretty... Yeah. So don't despise the small. Okay? And you might... That toilet cleaner has no idea what I do now, because I don't know who they are. I travel nations teaching the gospel because of a toilet cleaner. Just that... That is what God wants to do through you, that you just won't know. Because you don't need to know, because it's not about you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, can you repeat that second one? Yeah, yeah. You said at the beginning. Okay, so how have you been strategically placed to influence the person of power? So there's a sense of saying, God, am I in the right place? Okay? God, am I in the right place? Not the comfortable place, the right place. There's a big difference between comfort and right. doesn't have to be uncomfortable, but the question is, is it the right place, not the comfortable place? Sometimes we have become too accustomed to comfort. Worldly comfort, not godly comfort. And finally, how might your godly influence <coughs> impact your marketplace? I think there's a sense that we need to begin to dream in the spirit about what it might look like. Mm -hmm. What might it look like for me as a personal trainer to see all my clients saved? What, it, what might it be like for me as a church leader to see a church that are not rated on how many people gather on a Sunday, but how many people are scattered on a Monday? What am I dreaming? What are you dreaming? And you, and you. Allow the dreams of heaven to give you some idea of what you're going after. I really wanted to just do some words of knowledge, um, but I think time has ran away with us. Um, so can I just pray for you? Because I just think, you know, I just want to honour time, give you a break so you can get the most out of your next session. I know at conferences actually sometimes you just you're like stuffed and you just can't take it anymore so let me just pray for us and then we can have a rest before we go again for the final session of the day Father we want to thank you that your word is life yeah. and when we look in your word we see things that transmit to our circumstances and Lord I, I, I want to prophesy and declare over the people that have been hungry enough to come into this se seminar, that they would begin to fulfill something of what we've unpacked in Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. That they would uh, have divine revelation and instruction to bless wherever you have placed them and the people and the communities and potentially the nations or nations that that may serve. Yes. And God, I ask, would you just give them a uh, uh, an increased revelation of their sonship or their daughterhood in Jesus so they are prepared to pay the cost for the kingdom to come because you said Jesus my followers have to bear a cross but you didn't end at the cross you rose victorious you conquered the grave you released the kingdom and in Romans it says that we share in your sufferings 
that we would share in your glory and Lord ultimately we want to see your glory on the earth so God we ask help us to be men and women that can push through the trial for the favour to get the glory at the end that Jesus' name would be magnified in our lifetime that the name of Jesus would be honoured in workplaces and councils and governments and schools and mums and toddler groups and anything in between God everywhere at all times to the great and glorious praise of our Father in heaven. Holy Spirit, we love you and, and we just want to just recognize your presence here. Amen. Amen. And I, I just want to say one other point because I think it's helpful. Um, when you're in church, you will experience the manifest presence of God in a tangible way, likely. You'll feel him, the heat, the... the the gooey feeling, whatever it is, you'll experience that and you'll think, and then you go into the world and you think, what happened to God? Yeah, anyone been there? Mm-hmm. Oh, just me. Okay, what's happening there is at church, like, we had a great time of worship, Graham preached really well, there was an overflow in the spirit that I stood up and ran off, okay? So I operated out of the overflow of the manifest presence of God. When you go into the world, you have to operate in your authority in God. Okay, and it's very, very different because you don't feel the gooey feeling or the shaky arm or whatever else you might have in the Holy Spirit. You feel nothing, to be frank. And that's about authority. It's about God has said, therefore. And to, just to line that up biblically, in Ezekiel, it talks about the river of God and it talks about it being shallow at the temple and deep as it goes away from the temple. The level of authority you have outside of the church is far higher than it is inside of the church because you operate in overflow in the church and authority out of the church. And I hope that's a nugget that means when you're not all like, yes, glory, you just think, I don't know, it's about authority. The word has said, therefore. And I hope that's a really helpful nugget to just take away because I've so often wondered, God, why can't I heal the sick in the workplace? And I've, and I've often wanted to go for that when I'm feeling the anointing. And the anointing has not been there. But authority has always been there. Because as a son, as a daughter, you are carrying heaven's badge. You know what I mean? You can, like a person puts up the badge, we put up the, heaven, we put up the cross, the blood. Bang. That's your authority. You don't need the gun, so to speak, the, op- the power. You need the authority in the marketplace. I hope, I hope that's helpful. It certainly, when I first heard it, it really encouraged me to go for broke when I wasn't feeling the gooiness, so to speak. So bless you. You're amazing. You. Can't wait to hear some stories. Right, yep, yeah, so we're just going to have a quick break, and uh, I think next session starts at three, so it'd be really good just to honour these guys again, because I think uh, what they've shared and been so open is really helpful and really challenging as well, I think, yeah. for me personally, I guess for everybody here, so if we can just give them uh, honour these guys. Yeah.